What's up, beautiful people? Another week, another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast for your guys' pleasure. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee. And yo, we've got a huge show lined up for you guys this week. Y'all know, I gotta break down the Deontay Wilder-Tyson Fury fight. I know I told y'all last week I wasn't gonna watch the fight. But on Saturday night, I saw the timeline buzzing. Everybody was telling me how great it was via text. So, you know, a few hours later, I had to get the link you know, off the strength, and I have watched the fight, and yo, there's so much to break down regarding the fight itself and the heavyweight division. I can't wait to discuss that. Also, Meek dropped his album, Championships, but no one is talking about anything except for Jay-Z's verse on what's free. Maybe the verse of the year, but where do we rank Jay-Z all time? Yes, that is going to be the topic in the fourth quarter to go along with this week's Top 5 Friday. So much in store, so many topics to get to, so let's not waste any more time with our first topic this week. First quarter. The college football playoffs are out, and I gotta be honest with everyone, it has left me wanting more. No, I don't want more teams. No, 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 no. I think the college football playoffs should be left alone at four. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm saying I want more from the discussion, more from the observers, the people who talk, the quote-unquote experts. And I'll get to that in a second. But for everyone who wants a larger field for the college football playoffs, let's understand every sporting league that exists in America, at least, they have the problem of giving going too far. You can never put things back in. It's like toothpaste in the, in, the, in the toothpaste tube, right? Once you squeeze it out, you either use it or you throw it away. You can never put it back in, right? As an NBA fan, there are too many games. I think we all understand that. Baseball, I don't like baseball, but I think even people who do love the game feel it's too many games, too many teams. I know people who think the, the wild card um, playoff format is too much, but you can't go back now. The NFL has wrestled with this for years. They talk about wanting expanding to uh, 18 weeks, 18 games, and 16 is perfect. Stop. What is the old saying, the old cliche, leave the audience, leave the fans wanting more. College football, look, man, if you're going to do it, if you're going to expand, just let everybody in, like, like basketball. Everybody, almost everybody's got a shot. And here's the thing. Even in college basketball, they keep expanding. And then every year, there are three or four teams who are upset. So that's the number one thing. At what point do you expand to make everybody happy? Because if you go to four, there's going to be a 15. UCF is going to be upset. Or I'm sorry, if you go to six, there's going to be a 17 who's going to be upset. If you go to eight, there's going to be a ninth team that will be accept or upset. And that ignores the huge issue regarding football. You got these kids playing extra games and not paying them. You feel me? I'm not gonna get off on a tangent on this because I know some of y'all banners out there. Oh, well, they get a free education. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention. It's not 1992 anymore. A college education is not a guarantee. You know, golden ticket into making a living wage. There are people with multiple degrees who can't get a job, let alone a, a, a job that pays well. And they don't have to put their, their body, 
their limbs at stake. So the idea that, hey, I mean, you're getting the college degree for free, that's cool. I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to sacrifice my body for an education if that's not what I want. These dudes are bringing in millions upon millions of dollars, and the playoff system definitely is. So expanding the playoffs, meaning expanding games that these kids have to play, and not paying them is just wrong on so many levels. How, like, however you want to break down the seasons, fine. The playoff system, we all know. There's no need to argue that. And again, the larger point is, it's harder to get a job. So the idea of, yeah, you got a free college education. Everybody doesn't want a college education. And a college degree does not mean what it did 25 years ago. You know? But no, moving off that, that's not what I'm talking about when I'm saying this college football playoffs it's left me wanting more. What I mean is, where are the Bama screaming about parity? As a basketball fan, I will grant you, I may be touch sensitive about this, but Slim, I'm not ever going to let this go. Every offseason, every offseason, at the beginning of every year and throughout the, entire, the entirety of the NBA season, there are people who you can tell with the words that come out of their mouth, they don't watch the NBA, the product, much. But they've always got something to say. They've always got a shot to take regarding the league. And usually, it goes something like this. Why do I want to watch the NBA's product? I know who's going to win. Those people, those same people, will have college football helmets or college football flags or something regarding college football in their Twitter bios. So I'm asking, hold on. If you don't like parody here, how is it that you can enjoy parody here? Because make no mistake, I w we all knew you don't even have to like college football. The beginning of the season, I could have told you who's going to be number team number one. I could have told you who's going to be team number two. Easy. We knew half of the playoffs before the before the games were even played, and we knew the order. I know for a fact. Alabama, I knew for a fact that Alabama was going to be the number one team in the nation. In fact, everyone knew. Because they're always the number one team in the nation. In fact, I'll say this. Alabama's going to win the national championship. Unless Tua's ankle is much worse than we all think. If he played, if his, if his talents, if his game is affected by the ankle injury. But I, I, I even still, with his, we don't even know who's going to play against Oklahoma in a few weeks. We don't even know who's going to start at quarterback. We assume it's going to be Tua, but we don't know. And I still think they're going to be Oklahoma. So where's the parody discussion? You feel me? Like, out of all the things, sports-related, entertainment-related, the biggest thing about, man, just be consistent. You don't like the NBA, fine. You don't have to like the NBA's product. It's not for everybody. I readily agree. I will grant you that. But, yo, we have to stop with just feeding this mindless narrative without thinking. You feel me? If you don't like the NBA, bong, cool. But don't tell me you don't like the NBA because of parody. And then talk year-round. I mean, it's not like college football comes and goes. People talk college football year-round. And they swear to me 
that they love college football. Some people love the college, the college game more than the professional game. And again, that's cool. That's up to you. But if you don't like parity in the NBA, how the hell do you wrestle with the lack of parity in college football? I guess that's, that's my entire point here. How do you do that mental gymnastics? Because I don't get it. Usually when I wage war on parity, I'm talking about the NFL. And again, for everyone who thinks that, you know, in September the Patriots are done, guess what, guys? The Chiefs aren't going to beat the Patriots. The Steelers aren't going to beat the Patriots. I doubt that the Chargers beat the Patriots. Right? You, We all know the Patriots will be at least in the AFC Championship game, if not go to the Super Bowl. We know it. But I'm not focusing my aim on the NFL. Nah, because college continues to get a, a free pass. Every year, we know who's going to be at least in the championship game. Every year. And this year, who will be surprised if it's Clemson, Alabama? Raise your hand. We've, we've literally seen this game before. We have seen this game before. Twice. And I'm hoping for a third because both games were amazing. But don't talk to me about a lack of parity being why the NBA isn't entertaining for you. And then turn around and tell me how much you love college football. Because those two things don't equate. Those two things don't mesh. They don't make sense. And, and I'm not even mad at just the fans who say that, right? Or the people, my peers, the people that I'm cool with who say that. Because the media, the national media, like the, the, the large-scale sports media, they they pop that they prop that up too. The quote-unquote experts. Hey, man, why do you watch the, 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 the debate shows, right? Oh, why do we play 82 games if we know who's going to win? We know who's going – we know the Warriors are going to be there. Who? Why do we care? Why is – how is the sport healthy? Well, how come we don't have those same conversations regarding college football? How come we don't have, you know, in college basketball, women's college basketball, we hear these crazy arguments. Is, is UConn women's team too good for the sport? How come we don't have the same debate regarding Alabama? Right? Are the Crimson Tide too good for college football? We don't ever have those debates. We don't ever have, man, are the New England Patriots too good for the NFL? Never. Why do we have the selective memory? Why do we have the selective outrage? Why can't? Why is it that we cannot be consistent? Man, that stuff blows me, Slim. It really does. And the fact that no one ever wants to address it makes it even worse. You know, it's like the, the part of your body that itches that you can't reach. So then it just it just gnaws at your mind. It's like slim. It doesn't itch more than any other place. It's just the fact that you can't get it, that you can't satiate that scratch. You can't you can't stop that itch. Well, this is an itch for me, slim, because I'm asking, why is it that no one talks about this? Why is it that parody seemingly is the only problem, or is only a problem for the NBA? Yet all these other sports leagues, all these other um, sporting outlets and conferences and whatever you want to break it down to no one else has an issue i don't know that's a great question pat myself on the back i wish someone gave me an answer but yo that's what we try to do right here on the quarterly report answer the questions that no one else asks 
So let me know if you have any questions that you need me to answer. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Or tweet at me, quarterly show at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. All right, guys, that's the first quarter. We're going to keep things moving with our second topic this week. Second One quarter. thing that I can't stand on radio shows, television shows, podcasts, so when someone gets something wrong and they act like it never happened, or they never do a mea culpa, and I like to pride myself in, you know, everyone makes mistakes and everyone gets things wrong. But it shows a person, it shows the character of a person when they can just be like, yo, that's my bad, Snow. I was wrong. And that this is what I'm going to do now. Because last week, I made an awful, awful decision. And I got up on this platform, this podcast, and I talked into this microphone and told you guys about said decision. And I was wrong. I said there was no way I was going to watch Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And I kept my word. I did not buy the fight. I did not spend a drop of gas money to go over to a, a bar or to one of my partner's places or none of that. I stayed at home. I watched Wreck-It Ralph 2 with my baby. Went to Dave and Buster's and I chilled out at night and went to sleep. But before I went to sleep, my timeline was buzzing. It was telling me how I was missing the fight of the year. They had Undertaker gongs. They had memes. Deontay Wilder's do Slim, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. And later on, later on the following day, Sunday, I got a link from my people and I watched the entire fight. And let me tell you something. That may very well be fight of the year. That was one of the more entertaining fights that I have seen. But it's also it's also what plagues the sport of boxing. If you're listening to this, if you're listening to this pod, this quarter, and you think in, in any shape or form that Deontay Wilder won that fight or that Deontay Wilder, it was a draw. That was a, a, the right decision. Not to sound like the uppity boxing fan, the boxing snob, but Joe, you just don't know the sport. Tyson Fury was robbed Saturday night, and we all know it. And, you know, luckily, both of those guys, Wilder and Fury, it seems like they... They're comfortable with the decision, which makes me think that, you know, they have had those guys. There was no animosity between them, and it was easy to see. A lot of people got caught up Friday night when they had the the, the, the crazy press conference or where, you know, to this day, the whole to this day meme that happened with Wilder. And they thought that there was some real animosity between these guys. Those guys are cool. Um, if you know the story between them, you understand that. But seeing them after the fight and seeing them immediately following the decision being announced, you can tell that there is a, a, a kinship there and that both guys use that as a way to pivot forward. Tyson Fury was not only the winner in the fight, but he won this entire... I'm not going to say he won the entire year in terms of propelling himself to the American audience, but he won this event. Deontay Wilder, and I was correct. I was wrong in telling you all that I shouldn't watch the fight and that I had no interest in seeing the fight and I wasn't going to pay any money. 
but I was right in saying that Deontay Wilder had to be spectacular for that event to be a success for him. At the time of this recording, I still have no idea what the pay-per-view buys are. Um, by the time you guys hear this podcast, the, those numbers will be out, so you'll be able to correctly assess if Wilder was enough of a draw to bring any leverage to the negotiating table with Eddie Hearn because apparently that's where this is going forward now. And there's so many, there's so many different ways that we can go from here and there's so many different points that I want to talk about. So I got to take my time with this, right? But Wilder needed to be the star, not just on Saturday night, but he needed to be the star for this event. He had to show Hearn and the entire boxing world that he can carry a fight especially a pay-per-view fight, a fight where people will spend money to see. And he came out not only losing the fight to anybody who knows anything about boxing, but he lost he lost the he lost the entertainment edge as well because no one is leaving this fight thinking about Deontay Wilder. What I have been telling you all about Wilder and what people who follow the sport closely have been telling you all about Wilder for years is that his power has, he's never caught up to his power in terms of his skill. And you saw it on full display. He couldn't connect with Tyson Fury. He hit him. Don't get me wrong. He got hit in the, tw in the 12th round, but he was outclassed. He was outboxed the entire night. And that's been a glaring weakness but Deontay Wilder, his entire career, he hasn't improved in any facet of his game. He's got the best punch in the sport. He's always had the best punch in the sport. And because of it, he'll always be in a fight. And that's the gift and the curse because if you're Deontay Wilder, even after Saturday, he knows he lost that fight. But he probably has convinced himself that, you know what? I didn't fight my best, but I still could have slash should have won because I almost knocked him out. You know, and that's always going to stay with him. And, and the fact that he didn't lose his belt is going to stay with him even further because he always going to feel I can always win with this one right hand. Forget doing the little things to establish yourself as a great fighter. He's a great puncher. He's not a great fighter. And you saw it. There's no reason why Tyson Fury should have should have outclassed Deontay Wilder in that manner. It's so funny watching the timeline and hearing people talk about it because a lot of American boxing fans had no idea who Tyson Fury was. They're like, yo, this guy? He's supposed to be... Like, I can only imagine if I, if I wasn't familiar with Tyson Fury watching that fight, watching both of them coming to the ring, seeing both of them stand in the middle of the ring with the robes off, and you're looking, oh, Wilder's going to kill him. Because, of course, you would think that. Look at him. Tyson Fury has a gut. And the same thing not to pat myself on the back too hard because, again, guys, I started this quarter out saying I was wrong. But y'all, I'll be damned if I ain't going to tell y'all when I was right. I told you. It's one of the reasons why it annoys me that Wilder never fights anyone who's in shape. Fury clearly outclassed him. And even after the first knockdown, Fury came back and outboxed him in that round. And, of course, he lost that round 10-8 as he should have. But the point is, Tyson Fury did so much great boxing that he tired, and you saw it in the 12th round. If you're in the corner of Tyson Fury, 
heading into the 12th. The only thing you're telling him is you can only lose this fight if you get knocked out. Don't trade with them. Jab, jab, move. Jab, jab, move. Stick, move. Hold them. Do whatever you got to do. You're leading in the scorecards. And it's funny because had, had Fury just got, just lost the 12th round, right? If he just lost the round, he still wins the fight. It was the knockdown, even though the fight was scored completely hor horrendously. The one judge who scored it as a draw, which also was wrong, right? The one judge who scored it as a draw, it's only a draw because he lost 10-8. Had Fury just stayed disciplined, and if I'm sure he probably would have had he had the conditioning, right? He landed a nice punch on, on Wilder, but Fury doesn't have power. Wilder ate the punch and hit him with a two-piece combo, knocked him out. And by the grace of God, I don't even know how he got up from that. But he did. He beat the count. And then he got better during the round. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. I have no idea what was told to Tyson Fury in that round, in the corner. But they should have just been like, don't stick and move. You don't have power. You're not going to knock out Deontay Wilder. Jab, jab, move. Get out of there. Jab straight, whatever. One, two, bong. Get out. Hold, clinch. He did none of that. In his lack of conditioning, it almost cost him. So while I was wrong about the fight, while I was wrong about not spending the money, I didn't, mind you, that was an amazing fight. And it once again shows that, yes, boxing has its issues. As someone who loves the sport, it pains me to, to, to talk about boxing sometimes because on the front end of boxing, it's awful. And on Saturday, we saw it on the back end. It's a travesty. Meaning, we don't always get the fights that we should get. The obvious fights that the fans want. The obvious fights that make the most sense. And when we do get good fights and fights that do make sense, on the back end, you've got corruption regarding the judges. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. But for those 36 minutes those 36 minutes of action in the ring, there's nothing like it. I put boxing ahead of even the NBA in terms of just on the court, on the field, in the ring entertainment. There is nothing like a great fight. You can't you can't replicate it. Doesn't matter who's in there. There are a bunch of people who had no idea who Tyson Fury was, and he came out the clear winner from this weekend. So some of y'all Wilder fans, and y'all been in my mentions for the last few years talking about AJ's ducking Wilder. I can't rock with AJ. AJ's ducking him. Ask yourself why Wilder doesn't want that rematch. I guarantee you Wilder will not be fighting Fury <laughs> because he knows what time it is. He doesn't want it anymore. He can't beat him. He knows it. It took a lack of conditioning, and mind you, Fury's only going to get himself in better shape now. It took a lack of conditioning and a lack of discipline to get a draw. And even then, we all know he lost the fight. His stock went down. And again, I don't know what the pay-per-view buys are yet. You guys, you guys have this when you're listening to this podcast. So it may not be as bad as I think it is going to be. But man, when you come to that negotiating table, Deontay Wilder, you got to be ready to kiss the ring because this weekend... You were supposed to be the star. This weekend was supposed to be about Deontay Wilder. And in fact, this weekend gave you another 
rival. It gave you competition because Anthony Joshua, and we're going to get to AJ in a second. If you're Anthony Joshua right now, you now have options. I hope Anthony Joshua fights Tyson Fury because if they fight in Wembley Stadium, look, I understand the American dollar and everybody wants the, the American pay-per-view public and everything like that. But my goodness, Wilder, or I'm sorry, Fury versus AJ in Wembley would be amazing. Just like Klitschko versus AJ in Wembley was amazing. One of the better fights I've seen in recent, one of the, probably the best heavyweight heavyweight fight that I've seen in, in my adult years. I'm not going to OD. I'm not, I'm not trying to jump out there. But Klitschko, Joshua was amazing. The atmosphere, the, the electricity in the stadium, the stadium, mind you, right? Tyson Fury won this weekend, and I'm assuming Tyson Fury, and let's be, let's be honest, white men versus black men sells better historically than two black men fighting. It just does. Tyson Fury came to the American boxing consciousness, right? Because most people didn't know who Tyson Fury was. It was clear that most people had no clue about Tyson Fury in, in the States. And he won them over. He won them over. He's charismatic. He's got a, a great story. And, you know, he plays to certain audiences that Deontay Wilder just won't. Not to mention, he was robbed and he's a better fighter. The better fight is Fury versus Joshua. Easily. Because I don't know who wins that fight. Because what Wilder has... And what Wilder has shown, he can't box. We get it. But anytime you have lightning bolts in your gloves, you have a shot. And when you're fighting someone who is not well conditioned, they're going to get lazy. And can you capitalize on that? Wilder was one second close, two seconds at the most, close on doing it. Anthony Joshua doesn't have power like Deontay Wilder does. No one does. Anthony Joshua still has power in those gloves. Don't get it twisted. He'll put you to sleep. Ask Klitschko. Ask a lot of these guys. Anthony Joshua is a power puncher. But what people have, I think, failed to realize is that Joshua and his team, they've avoided the pitfalls that Wilder clearly has gone through. So many people were upset with Joshua during the Parker fight, saying, oh, he couldn't have got, he didn't get him out of there. When in reality, I was impressed by Joshua during that fight because it was it was clear. He relied on his boxing. He didn't fall into any of the traps that Parker set for him. He was disciplined. I'm sure he wanted the KO, but he didn't get it. But he used his boxing. He fell back on his boxing to get the W. So this is Anthony Joshua, guys. Wilder is the puncher who can't box. Fury is the boxer who can't punch. AJ is in the middle. He is not nearly the boxer that Fury is. But he can, and he's an improving boxer. He is not the puncher that Wilder is. But he has punching power and will put you to sleep. He's, he is the perfect mix of those two. And unlike Fury, he's in great physical condition, obviously. So while it's going to be tougher for AJ to beat Fury, I think AJ gets, I think AJ gets Deontay out of there easy. Because when... When Wilder is lazy with his boxing, when he doesn't work the jab, when he doesn't go to the body, when he just chases haymakers and he keeps his hands down, I told you guys a year and a half ago, 
I think AJ puts Deontay out with an uppercut because AJ's uppercut's one of the best in the business, and Deontay always keeps his hands down because he's chasing the he's chasing the haymaker. I think AJ puts enough booby traps if he does fight Wilder, and I don't think it's a coincidence that AJ wants the Wilder fight now because he knows he knows he can beat Deontay. The world knows he can beat Deontay. Deontay has one punch. And if you're disciplined enough, if you've got a good enough trainer and a good enough coach and you've got the stamina, you can avoid it. And not only can you avoid it, you can put booby traps and set them up for something punishing later in the fight. It's going to take, it takes discipline to beat Wilder. It takes skill to beat Fury. I don't know if AJ's skill set is up there for a Tyson Fury fight yet. I hope he fights him because again, I think a wild, I think a Joshua Fury fight at Wembley Stadium will be electric. You can get my money for that. Absolutely, I will sign up for that. I'll sign up for a Wilder AJ fight too. But at this point, and again, I don't know their pay per view numbers yet. But I think Wilder had his opportunity, and he missed it. He missed his chance at greatness. He missed his chance at glory, and I think he missed his chance at a huge paycheck down the road all right guys you heard the horn we're not going to miss this opportunity for halftime but before we get to halftime ladies and gentlemen we've got another edition of stoppage time you guys have been hitting me up again make sure you tweet at me quarterly show on twitter q-u-a-r-t-e-r-l-e-e show or you can email me your thoughts questions suggestions anything you want to talk about email me at quarterly report at gmail.com again quarterly Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. You guys give me your questions, anything that you want to hear me talk about, whether it's sports-related, music, entertainment, whatever the case may be, give me your questions or your topics, and I will answer them from time to time on the show in a segment that we like to call Stoppage Time. So, without further ado, my first question comes from Lex from Riley. So, shout-out to North Carolina. Shout-out to all y'all. Lex, Lex asks, what are my thoughts on Kaepernick and the Skins? All right, so Monday Night Football happened. And for those of you who don't know, Colt McCoy was the was Washington's backup quarterback for some time. He's making his second start. He breaks his leg. I think he fractures his fibula or something like that. He can't return. Mark Sanchez comes into the game, I think, in the first quarter and plays the rest of the way. Colt McCoy is not placed on IR because... Washington still has a small chance at a playoff berth. So they keep him off of IR, but he's not probably going to play for the rest of this regular season, at least. So Washington is left with a huge question. Who do we bring in now, right? Because Mark Sanchez, if he's going to be your starter the rest of the way, you know what time it is, but you still need a backup. And a lot of people were like, hey, y'all need to bring in Cap. So that's the backstory on that. Lex, Washington's not bringing in Cap. You know it, I know it, the world knows it. Colin Kaepernick's not going to play in the NFL again. He's not. I, I'd be surprised. But I felt this way the moment all of this started popping, the moment he didn't get a job immediately after he, the San Francisco contract went up, right? The moment he didn't get a job, I knew it was over. You know, it's funny listening to some people kind of move the goalposts when it comes to Cap, right? Because two years ago, it was... Well, he's not getting a job because Tony Romo and 
uh, Jay Cutler, they still haven't made their decisions yet. So you got to go through them before you get to cap. Romo retired. <laughs> Romo's making money in the in the television booth. Cutler got a job, and then Tannehill got hurt. And like he got the job after Tannehill got hurt, but still no one reached out to cap. At that moment, I was like, okay, it's over. He's not getting a job. And then I hear so many people saying, hey, man, does he even want to work out? He's even working out. He's not talking to any league, any teams. And I, and I just, again, I just want to demand more from the people who are privileged enough to have a platform. Because I remember specifically Seattle bringing in Cap to work out. And then Pete Carroll was like, look, it's clear. He's not just a backup. He's a starting caliber quarterback. And people killed the Seahawks at the time because they didn't hire him. They didn't sign him. And people killed Seattle. But I think it's worth mentioning, especially now that we have a more context about Seattle's locker room now. The reason why Pete Carroll and the Seahawks didn't sign Cap as a backup is because if Russell Wilson had two bad games in a row, that defense, especially the strong personalities on that defense, would have been demanding Cap get the starter to start. We now know about the rift between Sherman and Bennett and some of the other guys, the high-profile players on that defense, and Russell Wilson. Wilson, we know that now. At the time, we didn't know it was that it was that bad. So when Pete Carroll came out and was like, "Look, Kaepernick, he's it's clear he doesn't." It's not that he just deserves to be in the NFL. He deserves to be a starter. People looked at him like, well, then why aren't you you signing him? But now we have the context to know they didn't sign him because they felt he was as good or close to being as good as Russell Wilson, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Think about that. So for all y'all Bama saying, oh, man, does he even want to work out? How come he's not talking? Why isn't Washington even getting him a look? Why wouldn't you work them out? They worked out EJ Manuel, TJ Yates. Why would any team not work out Colin Kaepernick? And you know why? Because they lame as hell, bro. Like, again, and it's clear. There are certain voices. There are certain people, and I'm specifically talking about black people now, that large corporations, especially sporting teams, specifically because to this conversation, they just don't care, right? I live in Washington, D.C. There isn't a woman voice on sports radio. The only minority voices on sports talk radio are former football players, right? They don't care about our voices, you know? Colin Kaepernick won't be a distraction to Washington's fans. Not... Washingtonian fans close to the city. If you're in Ashburn, if you're in, you know, Gaithersburg, Manassas, probably. But they they don't they're not taking into the consideration the number of people who want Washington to sign Kaepernick. You know what I mean? So it just it just highlights kind of where what they think of their uh, minority fan bases. Um, their minority fan base, I'm sorry. It lets you know what they think about their black fan base. And it lets you know what they just think. 
you do the math, right? You take the hit with Ruben Foster where distraction doesn't mean anything to you. And I, I hate using the word distraction to kind of, I don't know, to to use to describe Ruben Foster or Colin Kaepernick, right? Because that kind of equates the two and they're not equal in the slightest. But if you think the quote unquote distraction is worth is worth it for Ruben Foster, but you don't think it is worth it for Colin Kaepernick, what does that tell you about your moral standards? Like what does it tell you about your integrity? I'll let you guys decide because again, I'm not going to tell you guys who to like, what to watch, what to do with your time, but just think about that. They're comfortable taking a, a hit for Ruben Foster, even though he may not ever play for them. They're not comfortable taking any type of hit for Colin Kaepernick, though he did nothing wrong. Think about that. All right, let's thanks for the question. Next up, Holcomb from Dayton. Shout out to Ohio. What's happening? Sorry about Urban Meyer for y'all. Um, but Holcomb asks, what are my thoughts about Netflix canceling Daredevil and their Marvel shows? Bro, I don't know what the hell's going on. Everybody has their own ideas, and maybe Marvel does this or Disney does their kind of streaming service and they bring back all these shows. That's all you can hope for, right? I have no idea. Like when they when they stopped doing Iron Fist, I got that. Because I didn't think Iron Fist was good. So bong. I was cool with it. When they stopped doing Luke Cage, I was a little bit surprised. I'm not a fan of Luke Cage, though. But I know how popular and how many people do like Luke Cage. So then I was kind of wondering, like, oh, okay, that's kind of weird. But maybe it just costs so much money with the, the Marvel stamp and everything that they're not recouping it back. Even though I thought that Luke Cage was doing pretty good for Netflix in terms of bringing back money and interest and all types of things. So while I wasn't upset, like a lot of people were about Luke Cage being canceled, it did kind of open my eyes and raise my eyebrows much more so than Iron Fist. But Daredevil? Oh my, that's a hurt me. That's a hurt me. Daredevil is so dope. Daredevil is critically acclaimed. Daredevil does well in terms of streaming. I don't know what's going on. I would love to hear somebody say something, you know, and maybe they have and I just missed it. But Holcomb, bro, I don't know. The only thing I can think of is maybe this Disney streaming site does pop off and maybe they bring them all back. Uh, I hope so because I enjoy them. Um, to me, Daredevil's the best one of all of them. I don't even think that's really, um, you know, a uh, controversial opinion. I think that's kind of everybody feels that way. You know what I mean? I think that's a standard thought, a standard opinion. Daredevil was the best. Season three of Daredevil just came out. It was dope. It was really good. And, um, yeah, I wish I had something else for you, Oakham. I guess we just got to figure out what happens. But Disney's going to make a killing in 2019. You just look at their slate of films that are coming out, they're going to make a killing. So maybe, you know, they have enough momentum to to really do their streaming site justice and they bring back all of the Netflix series but bring them over to their site, their streaming site, and maybe that's what happens. But, yo, I, I'm all, I have no idea what's going on. I've got just as many questions as you do. Hopefully somebody who knows something, not just me, 
But somebody who knows something comes out and gives us some idea of what's happening because I was taken aback about the Daredevil news as well. All right, so thanks again to Lex and Holcomb for your questions. If you guys have anything y'all want to hear me talk about, anything that you disagree with me on or anything in between, make sure you tweet at me, Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show, or email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. All right, guys. Stoppage time is over, but that means we still have halftime to discuss. And this week on halftime, we are heading back to the call center. That's right. A lot of your favorite entertainers and athletes have some questions that they need answers to. So me being the man that I am, a man of the people, I oblige in a segment that I like to call the Quarterly Report Hotline Bling. Take a listen. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Quarterly Report Call Center, where we give you guys the best advice to some of the biggest names in the world of sports and entertainment. All right, caller number one, what's your name, where you're from, and what is your issue? Hello, this is Urban from Columbus. Thanks for taking my call. Love the show, Armand. Um, earlier this week, I retired from a job that I really still want to do. In fact, I've done this before. It's been kind of crazy at my current or my last position. There have been some health scares, but I need to get out of Dodge. It was getting too hot for me in Columbus. But I'm eyeing several other positions at different places. How long should I wait before jumping back into my field? I'll shut up and listen now. Thank you. Damn, Urban. I feel you, man. It's been a rough year for you. It's been really, really crazy in Columbus, and it's best for you to get out of Dodge, whether it's health-related or just the bad PR that you kind of helped create in Columbus. It's probably time for you to sit this one out. As it pertains to getting back involved, I, I don't know what your doctors are telling you. I don't know how you feel inside, but what I can say is you probably need to sit your ass down for a bit. Right, You're not going to forget how to coach, especially on the college level. And recruiting, I can imagine, is a grind. But right now, the climate for you, you have done yourself zero favors this entire year, whether it's been physically or with just your PR and your reputation among the college ranks. You need to take a, a, a time to not only get your body together, but also understand the current climate and your responsibility as a coach for these young men because the things that you did and how you decided to cover these things up they're just gross man so look you're a successful head coach you're the second best coach in college of this generation okay but they're always going to be big time schools they're going to always be after and interested in you so take a few years get your body right get your mind right and understand your responsibilities not just in the one loss department, but also in trying to shape the lives of young men. Because in your last two spots, Florida and Ohio State, you have left much to be desired. All right, man, hopefully that answered your question. We got time for one more call. Caller number two, what's your name, where you're from, and what issue do you need help with? What's going on, Armand? Love the show. This is LeBron from Los Angeles. And recently, I feel like I've been stabbed in the back by somebody who I thought was cool. Let's just say his name is KD. He recently said that working alongside of me creates a toxic environment for others. 
I feel completely blindsided by this because I was hoping that he and I could work together one day and achieve the ultimate goal. Am I crazy for still hoping that KD changes his ways? And is there anything that I need to do to make others want to work beside of me and make a working environment more open for other players? Thank you. LeBron, man, heavy is the head that wears the crown, bro. Look, Kevin, I wouldn't trust KD as far as I could throw him. And his skinny ass and how strong you are, you probably could throw him pretty far, but I wouldn't even trust him that much, okay? Bottom line is this. Working with you, let's be honest, bro. You are a bit of a diva, okay? You never like your head coach. There's always something wrong. You do steal a lot of the shine. However, if the main goal is to win, there isn't any one player who gives someone a better chance at succeeding, okay? Golden State may be falling. Like, Rome is burning right now. So, while you probably won't win a championship this year, it's cool to take heed to some of the, the criticisms that not just Kevin Durant, but maybe Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, other top-tier players have said, Kyrie Irving, have said in the past, and you probably aren't the easiest person to work with. However, you don't need to change because you are already a legend. Oh, but you can't treat, you can't teach old dogs new tricks. You shouldn't want to change the best player in the league. Okay, you are a flawed player, and most of those flaws come off the basketball court. That being said, you're still a legend, and you still give any one player the best chance of winning a championship. So don't change. Probably make some tweaks here and there. Obviously, you're not going to be able to play with a top-tier star the same way you're playing with the current youngsters on your team right now. So don't make any drastic changes, but take heed and make a few tweaks here and there when the time permits. But that time is not right now. And if you think Kevin Durant is going to be the answer for you, eesh, all right, man, I think he got another thing coming. All right, guys, hopefully I answered all of the questions that you had for your favorite, from your favorite athletes and entertainers. Don't worry, if I wasn't able to get all of the questions out of the way, we'll be back in a few weeks right here on the Quarterly Report Call Center. Yeah, y'all boy KD is wildin', Joe. It's clear, it's obvious to anyone who knows me or listens to this show that I hope Kevin Durant plays in New York, specifically Madison Square Garden next year for my New York Knicks. But man, KD stay running his mouth. Like, that whole dynamic was crazy to me. Because number one, why are you so interested in the, the, the environment surrounding LeBron? That makes me kind of think that he has definitely thought about playing in Los Angeles because he was so detailed, but he took it to a whole other level. He was talking about fanboys. He specifically named Kawhi Leonard. I was like, Slim, you y'all got your own issues in Golden State. You know what I'm saying? Like, bro, Kevin Durant is an immensely talented basketball player. Kevin Durant is one of the more fun players to watch because he's just so unique. There is no other player that you can compare Kevin Durant to. From a size, skill set, shooting ability, the whole nine. But man, it feels like he goes out of his way to be difficult. You feel me? Like, maybe this is how KD has always been. And he just had really good handlers, or if you will, or PR people to shape his uh, persona. But the kind of evolution of Kevin Durant over the last three or four years 
has been wild to witness. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like he just goes out of his way to step in certain things that that really is so easily avoidable. But, hey, man, y'all going to hate me. Let that Bama wear orange and blue next year. Let them. You feel me? Y'all going to hate me. So, KD, get all this get all this lame stuff out your system now, bro. And then head on over to NYC next year once you have cleansed yourself from this hating. Because that's all this could be. Him just hating on LeBron. I don't understand it. But I tried my best to give out some advice to help the man make his way through life because life can be tough sometimes. But what's not going to be tough is to finish up this show. We've got two quarters left. No guests this week because I've got so much to get off my chest, starting with another topic in the NFL, a narrative that I hold dies a sudden death. But in the ashes, like the phoenix that rose, I hope someone with vision and creativity can come up with an idea to flip the NFL game on its head. I dive deeper into that subject for our third topic this week. I've told you guys this before. I really appreciate and enjoy when our athletics think outside the box. You know, from time to time, I've discussed the quote-unquote process in Philadelphia as it pertained to Sam Hankey. And while I think that some people lionize him and look at him as if there were not any flaws, the overall process, pardon the pun, was brilliant. You can nitpick about certain moves and decisions and certain um, choices along the way, but the overall idea was brilliant. And that thought process, I'm trying not to say process, right? But that line of thinking has placed the Philadelphia 76ers in a very opportunistic position in the NBA landscape, right? They've got two young, two of the best, I'm, I'm a huge Ben Simmons fan. We all, we all know how great Joel Embiid is. I'm a huge Ben Simmons fan. I think they've got two of the best five young players in the league. And then when you add Jimmy Butler, they've got three of the best 20 players just in general on their roster, likely to be saw, signed long-term. Thinking outside the box led Philadelphia to this position. There is no argument that to that. You look at the NFL, everybody is impressed with what the Cleveland Browns are doing. And the Cleveland Browns are on the cusp of doing something very special. I think it's not even that controversial to say that Cleveland probably is going to be a darling team in the NFL next season. And they now have a job where a lot of people want to coach. They've got the quarterback, you know, and they've got the talent on defense as well as some skill positions. And much of that is in large part thanks to Sashi Brown and the Browns thinking a few seasons back where they literally kind of just took what the Sixers did in the NBA and implemented that in the NFL. And yes, they won one game in two years or something like that. And yes, those two years were hard and it was a tough sell and a tough go for that fan base in that organization. But the idea that Sashi Brown and those guys had led to so many of these picks, the Miles Garrett, the Nick Chubbs, all these guys who are now contributing. They were able to stockpile these picks and they got those picks right, but they were able to get those picks because they were like, yo, us trying to do it the way we've been doing it is not working. I love when our teams or our organizations think outside the box. 
I am a huge fan of that. Which leads me to my next, I guess, position. As someone who's been fighting the fight in regards to how NFL teams build up the idea of having a quarterback. And I've presented time after time, quarter after quarter, week after week, episode after episode, why that line of thinking is flawed. I have now figured it out. And if you're NFL exec listening to this, or if you're friends or family members to one, hey, this is free. This is on the house. But we are at a point where I cannot wait until someone, some visionary, some potential future genius realizes that the NFL needs to handle the quarterback position the way the league handles the running back position currently. Now, I know some of y'all are listening to me. You're like, hold on. What, what, the, what the hell is Armand talking about? Allow me to die. Let me allow me to dive in deeper into this train of thought. It has long since been the the philosophy of the NFL that, you know what, drafting a running back high or spending a lot of money on a running back is pointless because you can find similar value later in the draft or in a free agent wire pile, right? You could just find, I don't know the young man's name, it escapes me, but the Denver Broncos running back, I believe, undrafted. And he's got almost the same amount of productivity as Saquon Barkley, who was the, what, second player drafted, right? That is the argument. There is no point to draft or spend a lot of money in free agency on a running back because you can find similar value for way less. A lot of people have taken aim at the Giants for drafting Saquon Barkley early. Now, I would argue who, which of the quarterbacks who were drafted after Saquon Barkley is someone that you would want to build around? Because I don't think Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, or Josh Allen are guys who you could build around. So I don't fault the Giants for taking Saquon Barkley early while I do understand the logic, right? I don't necessarily agree with that example, but the logic does make sense. So much so that on Twitter now, I believe the, the, the guy, his name is American Numbers. I forget his name. Fun follow, uh, especially if you're an analytical guy. But he had a tweet a few weeks back saying, asking essentially, who was the last running back who was drafted in the first round who led his team in rushing to a Super Bowl, right, by the team who drafted him? I know that sounds a bit convoluted, but I'll break it down maybe easier. Who was the last running back who was drafted in the first round who led that team to a Super Bowl while leading his team in rushing, right? And that answer was Jay Ajayi, or yeah, I believe uh, the Colts running back back in 2006. His name escapes me, right? But that was the answer. And everybody was like, oh, that, that's a great point. You know, you don't have to spend a first-round pick anymore. It just doesn't, that's not the way the league is run. And while everybody was clamoring, thinking that that was this great, you know, kind of find and this great nugget, which it's interesting. I responded to him saying, well, if that's the case, when was the last time a quarterback who was drafted in the first round won a Super Bowl for the team who drafted him? And I'll ask that question to you guys. I'll pose that question to you and I'll keep going and we'll come back to that because I'll give you guys a chance to think. But the idea is the same. 
the way we handle running backs should be the way we handle quarterbacks now. Because when you look at the value that you can get, you don't have to look further than last year. Last year's playoffs, the final four, Tom Brady, Nick Foles, Blake Bortles, and Case Keenum. Blake Bortles was the only one that was drafted in the first round of those guys. Actually, you know, I think Nick Foles may have been a first-round quarterback as well. But you get the point. Not top talent, and outside of Tom Brady, none of those guys deserve a huge contract. Nick Foles is a backup, and he won Super Bowl MVP. Think of the quarterbacks who, who are in the best position to win a Super Bowl now. Yes, there are first-round picks, but not many of them make a lot of money. In fact, outside of Brady, Breeze, and Rivers, which quarterback do you think who has a really good chance at winning a Super Bowl makes a lot of money? Think about it. They're all either quarterbacks that you have on a discount or quarterbacks who are on a rookie salary. I'm talking about the Jared Goffs, the Deshaun Watsons, the Patrick Mahomes. I don't know how much you believe in the Cowboys, but a Dak Prescott, a Mitch Trubisky, all these guys, like the, the league now is full of quarterbacks or the successful teams, I should say, are full, filled with quarterbacks who are either signed on a discount or on still part of their rookie wage salary. So again, the idea of treating them like running backs, right? Because look, if you draft the Ty Gurley, you know you're going to pay him. Ty Gurley is one of the best players in this league. He has a legitimate MVP case, right? He's not just a running back because he's a receiver. And you're going to pay Ty Gurley when his contract is up a lot of money for that productivity. Same with Ezekiel Elliott for the Cowboys. If you, if you find one of those guys, you pay him. But if you're not one of those truly elite players, then you can be replaced. And that's the same mentality that I think NFL teams need to have when it comes to their quarterbacks. Look, if Patrick Mahomes ends up being the next Drew Brees or the next Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, sign him. Boom. But what you're seeing is you can win with a second-year quarterback. In the AFC, there's only one team, Chargers included. There is only one team that I think who can truly beat the New England Patriots, and it's not the Chiefs, it's not the Steelers, Lord knows it's not the Steelers, and it's not the Chargers. I think it's the Texans. The Texans have an amazing defense. They've got, in my opinion, the best wide receiver in the game with another very good receiver beside him, flanking him with amazing skill position players. And they've got Deshaun, and they're able to do so because they don't have to pay their quarterback a large number, a, a large amount of money. If Deshaun Watson ends up becoming the second coming, boom, spend the money. But if not, you can replace him because he's been replaced. He was the replacement. Understand, we talked about the Lions last week. Look at the Vikings. The Vikings went to the NFC Championship game a year ago. They may not make the playoffs this year. And the only difference is they, they are spending a crazy amount of money on a quarterback. A quarterback who's not even great. He's good relative to the, to the other quarterbacks in this league, 
but he's not great. No one, the biggest Kirk Cousins fan, would not tell you that he's a great player, a great quarterback, because he's not. Why continue to invest in something that has shown you over the years? Remember that question that I posed to you the last time a quarterback was drafted in the first round that won a Super Bowl for his team that drafted him? The answer is Joe Flacco. And how fitting is it that Joe Flacco is the answer? Because there's not a better argument to support what I'm saying right now. There is a clear line of demarcation. When the Ravens were paying Joe Flacco on his rookie scale, they were consistently AFC Championship game, Super Bowl, title contending team. The moment they paid Joe Flacco his money and he won the Super Bowl, right? So they felt like they had to. We, we see what has happened to the Ravens. That team has not been able to reach that type of success. The talent has fallen off. Like, if you're going to do that, you better hit on all of your draft picks. And that's just incredibly difficult. Seattle, they win the Super Bowl. Russell Wilson is a third-round quarterback. And Russell Wilson is still one of the best quarterbacks in this league. But look what happened to Seattle. They went to back-to-back Super Bowls. They should have beaten Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in consecutive Super Bowls. A dynasty right before our eyes. Russell Wilson was being paid peanuts. And then he got his money. And then the decisions became difficult. And while Russell Wilson is still one of the best quarterbacks in this league, he's not a difference maker in that regard. Russell Wilson alone cannot make your team a Super Bowl contender. And I love him. He's from Richmond, and I hope they they win the Super Bowl this year. But would I put any money on that? Of course not. Look at the teams who have the best shot of winning the Super Bowl. Yes, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, two of the best five to ten quarterbacks to have ever played this game. They are in that discussion. I'm not trying to minimize what they have done. But you also have the Rams, the Chiefs, the Bears, the Texans, The Cowboys, the Eagles who won it last year, however you want to break that down. I mean, it's in front of us. It's all around us. The way to win is to find the cheap quarterback who can produce. And if that guy can produce at a great level, I'm not saying don't pay him. Just the same way that I would never tell the Rams not to pay Ty Gurley. However... You get a running back who's really good, but he's not necessarily all world, all pro, great level. You can fill his replacement with a pick. Just like the Cowboys filled Tony Romo's replacement with the pick. Matt Flynn was the big free agent acquisition for Seattle. Remember that? And they got Russell Wilson with the pick. Nick Foles was the Super Bowl MVP, free agent signing. Mitchell Trubisky is leading the Bears. He was with a pick. You go down the line, look at the teams who are at the best position to win. They are not paying their quarterbacks a ridiculous amount of money. And that is how you flip the game on its head. There's a quarterback bubble right now, and it is going to burst. And I can't wait until a smart mind, much like Sam Hankey, much like Sashi Brown, sees it, sees the glitch in the matrix and exploits it. 
Because the narrative is you need a quarterback to win. You need an all-time great quarterback to win. But when I see arguably the greatest quarterback of all time in Green Bay not even make the playoffs, while his division rival in Chicago is going possibly winning the division and possibly doing damage in the postseason with the quarterback who is far from elite. It makes you wonder who's going to be the person to think outside the box. Who's going to be the person to flip the game on its head? Who's going to be the person to be the next genius in the NFL? Once again, guys, my name is Armand Lee, and this is the Quarterly Report. Do you think I'm crazy by saying replace the quarterback unless you have a great one? Well, if so, I want to hear why I'm crazy because I just laid down the evidence. I just laid down the facts, and of course I'm right. But if you think you're right and that I'm wrong, I want to hear that argument. So tweet at me at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Again, Quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Report at gmail.com. I got to tell y'all, I know that sounds crazy, but I'm right. I'm right. You know? Treat the running, but treat the quarterbacks the way we treat the running backs. Have the quarterback lined up. And like the Ravens were with Joe Flacco. He wants a lot of money. Say, hey, man, God bless you. I hope you get it. Draft this. Look at Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is not a good quarterback right now. But the Ravens haven't missed a beat with him starting. In fact, they're playing better. I'm not saying they're playing better because of Lamar Jackson. But Lamar Jackson isn't making them play worse. You know? And if you save money with the quarterback, then you can fill out your roster financially with other needs and areas that you need. I mean, like, just look at the league. Look around. When everyone is zigging, you need to be the one who's zagging. The game can be flipped right now. It absolutely can. In fact, it has been. You just haven't noticed it yet. But that's why I'm here, right? I'm, I'm a man of the people. All right, y'all, that was the third quarter. So, you know, we've got one quarter left in the show. So without further ado, let's get it going. Fourth quarter. If you're anything like me, last Friday, you and your friends, everybody was going nuts when Meek Mill dropped his latest album, Championships. But not necessarily because you are a Meek Mill fan or because you were anticipating his kind of return, if you will after a much talked about and a, a, a real legit struggle. Last Friday, my friends and I, we delved, we jumped right in after listening to the album. There was one standout song, and in particular, one standout verse. And by now, you guys know what time it is. I'm talking about what's free, and specifically Jay-Z's verse. And after hearing it, hearing it a few times, kind of delving in, diving in, listening to what he was saying, listening to how he put his words together, the whole nine, listening to podcasts, discuss and debate the verse. You know, even before you heard anybody else kind of validate your feelings, you knew it was special. And Jay-Z is one of these guys who, man, when it comes to, I don't even want to qualify it with just rap. You know what I mean? Because I think with us, we have a tendency to kind of do that, even if we're not doing it purposely, right? By saying, man, he's just an amazing rapper. No, 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 no. 
Jay-Z is an amazing musician. Nas is an amazing musician. The Fugees, Lauryn Hill, Wyclef, man, Outkast, they were amazing musicians. And what Jay put forth on the What's Free song, man, my goodness, that's top-level artistry, okay? There's no other way you can... There's no other way you can break it down. So naturally, instead of just hearing the verse and being letting it sit with you and like, yo, this was amazing. Yo, Jay-Z is amazing. You know how we get down. We then start breaking it down like, yo, this is the verse of the year. Yo, this is why Hove is the God MC. Boom, boom, boom. Now this upcoming Friday, I am returning to the top five Friday list that I do on my Instagram account at Quarterly Report and on Twitter at Quarterly Show. I will be breaking down really a topic that has been discussed for years on years and years, but no one has ever really got a definitive list, right? There's something that no one will ever agree on, and I'm sure you all won't agree with my list either, but I will be giving you my top five rappers of all time. But hearing Jay-Z's verse, man, it got me thinking. Maybe it shook some things up. I'm going to let you guys wait on it and wait to see my list before I tell you where I have Jay-Z, if I even have him in my top five. But on a larger scale, it had me thinking about Jay-Z. Y'all know I do my Wire NBA comparisons. But I started thinking like, yo. If I were to do another NBA comparisons, and I'm not going to do it because I don't want to be pigeonholed as the comparison guy. But Jay-Z is just like Kobe. In fact, actually, you can make the case that Jay-Z is like Jordan. Not because of I think he's the greatest of all time necessarily, but the argument is absolutely there. Y'all know I think Jordan's the greatest basketball player of all time, but you could make a case for three or four other players, and I think, okay, boom, that's you have a point. But Jordan always has six for six, right? He always has the accomplishment mantra, if you will. I went to six NBA Finals. I got six NBA Finals MVPs. I never lost in the Finals. He's got the accomplishment kind of box checked, and that's exactly what Jay-Z has. A lot of y'all think Jay-Z's got way more classics than I do. I don't think Jay-Z has the number of classics that you guys do. Maybe I'm more strict when it comes to giving out classics. But I think Jay definitely has three. At least, I think. Blueprint, you can make the case that Blueprint is the greatest hip-hop album of all time. Like, honestly. Blueprint, Reasonable Doubt, American Gangster. In my opinion, those three are Jay-Z's classics period i don't necessarily like you could tell me you could argue if you want it 444 444 is still a little bit fresh i don't know if it reaches the classic criteria i'm a huge rock lot familiar fan y'all hear it every time or not every time because i didn't do it this week right but most times when i do the call center segment for halftime i use one i hundred hustler because I, that's just one of my favorite songs ever and Rock Life for Me is a great album, but it's also kind of a compliment compilation album. And if we're being honest, Beans kills Jay on that joint. Like Beans just kills him. So while I think it's a great album, and I'd even lean to say it's kind of a classic, I can't really give it the whole classic title for a Jay-Z album because it's not really a Jay-Z album. It's kind of a compilation album. 
You feel me? And I know I'm nitpicky. But for me, Jay-Z has three classic albums. You could argue some if you want. I, I stick to three. So he's kind of got Jordan accomplishment albums. He's got a whole, even if you don't even want to say the three classics are what you will feel. He's got three classics, and then he's got like five or six just amazing Great albums, just not classics in my opinion. But he's got a whole bunch of really, really, really good albums after that. You know? And like from accomplishments, he's got it. There's nobody who could argue that. Look at I mean, look at his position now in terms of influence and stature. And influence would be the second category in which I would compare him to Jordan because Jordan gave birth to all these guys. And it's a gift and a curse, no pun intended. Because we all now realize how great Jordan was and he gave birth to all these players, but he also gave birth to, I got to make the shot, the clutch gene, the isolation, all these things that have been kind of taken from Jordan and then made negatively. Like the style of basketball that Michael Jordan birthed, I shouldn't say that he birthed, that he most popularized, has been taken and made into a negative thing, right? Because all of the positive attributes that we see from Kobe Bryant or the Derrick Roses or, you know, all the other players, the Carmelos, that, who are very talented, and all the positive things that they took from Jordan, they also took the bad things from Jordan, too. Where all we talk about is who made the last shot. We don't talk about who made the right play. We talk about did you make the last shot? Whose team is it? You know? Are you the man? Are you Jordan or are you Pippen? Which leads me to my next comparison between Jay and Jordan. I don't know of a greater player, a greater older player as well, who history has treated worse than Scottie Pippen. You talk to a young kid about Scottie Pippen, you would think that Scottie Pippen was just some hanger on, that he's just some scrub dude, or at best that he's a Robert Ory type player. And that's no disrespect to Robert Ory. Robert Ory is one of the more clutch players in the history of the NBA. But Robert Ory is in no way, shape, or form on his best day coming close to Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But because he stands so close to Jordan's bright, shining star, Pippen has always been in his shadow. And over time, it's cool to kind of sun Scottie Pippen. And this is before talking about his ex-wife and future. People act like Scottie Pippen wasn't nice. Similarly, people act like Dame wasn't a huge part of what Jay and those guys built with Rockefeller. Bigs, too. So much of what Jay has as an established businessman, and when you listen to what's, what's free, and you listen to what he's talking about and how important it is to be an entrepreneur and how important it is to not be a slave in this game and how important it is to own your stuff and know your worth, that stuff Dame was talking about way, way back in the day. It's funny kind of seeing Jay. It's funny and dope at the same time because we as people, we grow. And that's that's a beautiful thing about being a human, right? You grow, you learn, you understand, and you mature, and you evolve with the surroundings and with the times. So seeing Jay move from talking about how he lived on a billboard and how 
he runs the summer on the Billboard charts. And now what he's talking about on what's free, talking about, yeah, I was talking about Billboard. We was young. Now I look at Billboard and think, is you dumb? Like that's dope to see kind of that evolution. But I can't I can't forget it. Because like much like with Mike, and we talking about how whose team is in it, who takes the last shot. Yeah, in the positive standpoint, he made a lot of shots. But on the negative, he influenced an entire generation of people thinking that, you know what, passing to the open player is a sign of weakness. Right? That efficiency is overrated. It's all about buckets. This whole kind of how many points did you drop mentality that we have permeating through basketball culture. It comes from a positive standpoint, but it still comes from NJ. So if Jay is looking at all the new rappers out and all the rappers that have come since him and how much they care about how many units they sell and how many number one albums they've got, right? And how many plaques they have. Who did they get that from? You, you absolutely right they got it from Jay. He's the one who gave birth to that. So while I think it's dope that he has grown as an artist and realized that, no, that doesn't mean anything. Damn it. That doesn't excuse the fact that you opened the door for this. You opened Pandora's box. The gift and the curse is real. And just like history has treated Scottie Pippen so crazily, like he is just some hanger on to some guy who rode coattails to championships and wasn't a legit you know, contributor wasn't a legit top 50 player of all time. People act like Dane was just some guy. Like Dane was just hanging on. He's the dude pouring liquor on girls in the video. Nah, man. Dame's business savvy was a one when Rockefeller was running. Make no mistake. But because he's staying so close to Jay's bright star, he's in the shadow. I'm telling you, man, the similarities between the two, Jordan and, and Jay, are crazy. But it also brings me back to one of the better Jay verses that I, I remember, and it was the second verse on the Moment of Clarity from the Black Album. When he, I, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't do it. I'm not a rhymer. But he was like, financially, I wish I want to rap like Taleb Kweli, but if I wrote like Common Sense, it wouldn't make sense, right? Meaning... It doesn't make money. It wasn't valuable to rap on this conscious tip that he wanted to because he was trying to sell records. And people think that's a dope line, and I think it's a great verse. But it also makes me think when I hear Jay rap some of the stuff now, I'm thinking, bro, it's cool that you are at this point because of your influence. And you can shape so many different people, as I talked about, in the, pra in the past, you know, few moments about how everybody values the billboard charts now, partly, mainly, in my opinion, because of Jay. But if Jay took this responsibility 10, 15 years ago and started rapping how he raps now, and not just subtly, but like using his platform to speak the stuff that he was speaking starting Black Album and later, Imagine how different the music industry would be. Imagine if Jay put a what's free verse out in 2002. You know? And it's not like no one else was doing it. He mentioned it. Whether it was Kweli, Most, 
Common, Black Thought. I mean, all these guys who were doing it. Nas even, his contemporary was doing it. And he tried to make fun of Nas with that, right? Was you trying to kick knowledge? I can't, I can't act like those things didn't happen. Much like with MJ, I can't act like those games versus the bad boys Pistons didn't happen when he failed against them. I can't act like Nick Anderson and Penny didn't light his ass up in 95. I can't act like these things happen. We can make excuses for why they happened. And just because something is an excuse doesn't mean that it's explaining everything away. It's just explaining what did happen. But I can't act like they didn't happen. I'm telling you, man, the comparison between Jay and MJ is crazy. So when I hear Jay on what's free and I listen to it and I'm like, man, this dude is amazing. And even at this point of his career, he still could get down and do it better than everybody. When Jay, Jay's peak is better than everyone else's peak. And I say this as someone who loves three stacks, who loves Nas and who loves face. Jay at his apex beats everyone. But we don't always get Jay at his best, do we? And when you're breaking down the best of all time, when you're breaking down what, it, no matter what you're doing, that's kind of the math that you have to do in your head. How do you break it down? How do you assess it? Do you assess championships? Because again, in terms of accolades, no one touches Jay. Do you assess it in terms of influence? Because again, in regards to influence, no one touches Jay. Period. Jay-Z has changed this game for better or for worse, more so than any other rapper ever. And I honestly mean that. But while he was running up his mouth, I shouldn't say running his mouth, but while he was banging his chest for a decade talking about how he ran the summer, talking about things that he now looks back at saying it was dumb, there were people who were literally Speaking that truth that he's finally on now, way back when. So how did how much do you how much value do you put in that? Because we all grow and we all evolve and change at our own pace. And Jay, for whatever reason, he's gotten there over the last five or so years. And that's dope. We know he's a father, he's a husband, much like most of us, man. I mean, I mean, think about it. Jay-Z has lived the life that, you know, on a much higher level, obviously. But his maturity comes once he starts settling down and gets a family and starts thinking differently once he has the family. Like, we all do on our own scale. You know what I mean? So in that regard, the relatability is another thing that Jay has. But I related to guys who back in the late 90s and early 2000s, they weren't talking about their Chris and they weren't talking about their Benz and they weren't talking about living on Billboard. They were talking about the same thing that Jay-Z is talking about now in 2018. So I have to factor all of that in when I think of the greatest rapper of all time. Even though Jay-Z has an amazing case for his, for his position as the GOAT. Do I think he's the greatest rapper of all time? Well, you'll find out 
Top 5 Friday this week, head on over to my page at Quarterly Report on Instagram or at Quarterly Show on Twitter. And my friends, that's what we like to call a tease in the business. And that's how we're going to end the show, man. But before I go, let me know who you think is the greatest rapper of all time. Email me, quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Or tweet at me, Quarterly Show on Twitter. Again, I will have my list this Friday. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. Let me know. Interact with the show. And before we go, make sure you let me your friends and the world know what you think about the quarterly report podcast leave a five-star review and rate the show on apple podcast itunes google play stitcher spotify Podknife, wherever else you listen to podcasts man i really want to hear your guys' thoughts i love the feedback that you guys give me via email and twitter but also let me let me see your reviews and your thoughts on these certain websites man the the powers that be they really really enjoy uh or that's how they really rate and uh assess the podcast by the reviews that you leave so do me a favor man go to apple Podcasts and leave me a review five stars if you would like but more importantly let the world know why you like the quarterly report podcast all right guys thank you so much for rocking with me for about an hour plus this week we'll be back here right back better than ever next thursday on the quarterly report.